Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello, I am Liz Loza and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football forecast presented by Planters, satisfying your snack cravings for over 100 years you know what satisfied me today, Andy Barons? I'm here with Andy Barons. Andy, say hi to everyone. Hi. I would love to know. <laughs> well, I su- got a surprise gift on my doorstep. My girlfriend, who has a gorgeous hydrangea bush, went and clipped a bunch of flowers and l- sent out, and because of, you know, contactless delivery, put out um, a bouquet of week two blooms as she described them for me. And I thought that was incredibly <laughs> satisfying. Man, nobody's doing that for me. Wow, that's really nice. That's super Your nice. Your girlfriends don't set out um, bouquets of flowers for you? <laughs> Surprisingly, I don't get that from the girlfriends or the fellas. No, nobody's doing that for me. <laughs> awesome. Did anything satisfy you this morning or this day? Um, pre-podcast conversation really satisfied me today. <laughs> that was uh, that was a delight. That was awesome. That was really good. Yeah. Um, that, that's pr- that's right probably my number you. one right now. I'm still thinking about that as we're rolling. Okay. Well, <laughs> why don't you shelve that? Because we have a whole slate of games, minus one, to discuss. Let's talk about one big thing you're looking for in each matchup. We'll start with the Sunday early slate. And let's start because we are both theoretically Bears fans. Uh, the Giants at the Bears, what is your one big thing? Oh, boy. Um, if people didn't actually see any of the Bears-Lions uh, game, and I listen, you, you didn't need to. You weren't. It's not like you were missing some spectacular game. It was close, but not a good game. The, the stats obviously don't tell the story for Mitch Trubisky, who was, who was mostly terrible. Terrible. Three touchdowns, no picks, and 240-some yards, whatever it was. Like, the stats look fine. Um, he was brutal for long stretches of this game. I think that my favorite sequence was the, this might be the third quarter. There's a, there's a delay of game where he just had no clue. He would have, he would have stood there. (laughs) He would have stood there, say, screaming stuff for another 45 seconds. He just had no clue, uh, followed by a terrible incompletion, followed by a 27 yard loss on a strip sack. Like it was just the incompletions were bad. Everything was bad. And yet at the end of the day, he throws one really great pass on a first read to Anthony Miller. And it was a beautiful ball. Like it didn't take much. And uh, then the Lions did Lions things. Anyway, it's another good matchup for Mitch. And sometimes he sometimes he pops in good matchups. So I can't blame you if you are a super flex manager who's rolling Mitch Trubisky out there. Just know that he could get yanked at any moment because it was actually quite bad. 
So I, I spoke about Mitch and my complicated feelings about our relationship on the <laughs> Sunday night pod. So the only piece of the Chicago offense I'll touch on is Anthony Miller since he did score the game winning touchdown, which wasn't necessarily going to be the game winning touchdown until DeAndre Swift dropped the Lions game winning touchdown. But regardless, you know, I'm okay because the Giants are quite generous versus the slot in flexing Miller, but I really don't think you can count on anyone but A-Rob. And A-Rob now, I guess, can be counted on since he and Ryan Pace made up and all of the social media got put back intact. So I am excited about Miller. He's a player that I know we're both high on. It was exhilarating to see him score for many reasons. I don't know if you can count on that week to week because when you look at the snap count, everything, and you think about how, you know, Nagy calls a game – Everything gets a little bit spread out. So again, because of the matchup, uh, matchup, I'm okay flexing him, but I don't know if we can see this. I don't know if we'll see this regularly until we see more. From the giant side of things, Darius Slayton, who was a player I've been high on for a whole long time, uh, definitely mm-hmm. showed out over 100 yards, two scores. Golden Tate, we should talk about because he is expected to be back. He did at least participate in individual drills in Thursday's practice. That might create a slight regression to Slayton's volume, but as we've talked about heading into this season, if you're looking at the Giants receiving core from a which of these things is not like the other point of view, Slayton remains the best red zone option. Evan Ingram obviously did not do a whole lot in the opener against the Steelers. So what an ugly game from Evan Ingram, by the way. Wow. I, that was like a gut punch when you even mentioned him. Yeah, absolutely brutal. I haven't been a couple places where he really could have made the difference for me. And oh, wow. Was that bad? Did not. Well, Slayton was on my bench because I just didn't anticipate Steven Nelson, the Steelers cornerback struggling as much as he did after flashing a considerable amount in 2019. So I still have Slayton in that like wide receiver 30 place. If I am, for example, thinking about flexing, I'm going to flex Slayton over Anthony Miller, who is, you know, I would say in more in the forward wide receiver 40 ish range. Does that sound about right to you? Totally agree on that. Um, I'm starting to think of Slayton now as like, Man, this is this is Will Fuller if Will Fuller stayed healthy. I mean, the 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 boom weeks for for Darius Slayton are just going to be huge, and it's really nice that uh, that Daniel Jones looks for him. I think I get not that anybody was considering benching Saquon Barkley or even worried about Saquon Barkley, but the Bears defense gave up just mile wide rushing lanes to Adrian Peterson, and this is a this is very much a get right week for Saquon. Like it, Saquon went for two hundred total yards in this one. I wouldn't I wouldn't be very surprised based on what we saw last Sunday from the Bears. All right. Um, let's talk about the Rams at the Eagles. Um, for me, from the Rams side of things first, um, I am most puzzled slash intrigued by not this backfield. You you spoke eloquently about Malcolm Brown being the RB1 in this backfield and not by a little bit. This isn't, I saw you tweet, you know, about the, uh, some people were like, well, you know, he uh, scored Malcolm Brown did in week one of last year. Not the same thing, but I am more concerned about how Robert Woods is being targeted significantly more than Cooper Cup. And that has been a trend that started after the team's week nine bye last week. I ran the numbers and from weeks 10 through the end of the end of the regular season last year, Cup averaged five and 5.8 targets per game. Woods 11.4. Now he did have that one blow up game where there were like 19 looks. So that obviously messes with the average. But even in week one, we saw that carry, o- carry over with Cup seeing five targets, Woods seeing eight. The most 
like the hardest part of that for me to swallow is that like, okay, but cup near the end zone in the red area of the field felt like such a boon to Jared Goff. And yet cup yeah. only saw one red zone look wood saw two. Darius Slayton obviously is likely to cover Robert, Robert Woods in this one. So I don't know if that affects anything, but that usage and um, that the volume between those two is something I'm keeping my eye on. Yeah. I suppose last year I thought that, uh, I, I don't remember if there was a specific injury with Cooper Cup or whether I was just assuming that they were they were concealing an injury. But that's kind of where I was at. I was like, well, OK, this is this is all happening because something's wrong with Cooper Cup. But you're right to to see basically the same usage play out in week one is is definitely a concern. I guess the I guess the nice thing is that it's still a pretty narrow uh, sort of usage tree in that in that receiving core. So the the targets are going to be there for Cup. This is mostly just good news about Robert Woods instead of being horrendous news about Cooper Cup. I mean, I'd still like I'd, I'd be willing to trade for Cooper Cup if somebody if somebody was panicky about him right now, for sure, because I think obviously this offense can support three starting quality pass catchers. Um, I guess I guess just to get to the to the backfield, the the tweet that you're referencing was just that Malcolm Brown's usage this year in week one was just so dramatically different from his usage in week one last season when he also scored two touchdowns. But that that doesn't mean that he's just like a miracle maker in week one and it all goes away. I mean, his usage was like he played, you know, twice the snaps that Cam Akers did and he closed the game. And Cam Akers looked like, you know, game speed hadn't pro level game speed hadn't caught up with him yet. And that yeah, is totally yeah. reasonable given the offseason, given the fact that he's a rookie and Jordan Rodriguez report that eventually she saw Akers eventually being the key word separating himself from the pack. That might still happen. It's still week one. What is going to happen in week two, though, is that Miles Sanders will make his 2020 debut it looks like he's going to play. How are you dealing with Sanders right now? Because that Boston Scott pick that I know I made sure as heck didn't work out. I mean, he got hurt, but also, ugh. Yeah, it was mostly it was mostly Boston Scott getting hurt. That was a big part of it. But um, I I think the well the other big part of it is the health of the Eagles' offensive line. I would I would like to see Lane Johnson come back to like full practice by Friday. That would help a lot. Like we just need to see we just need to see that line better too because that line got mauled. Um, obviously, it's not at at full strength right now, but um, they and maybe he is, but they really made Chase Young look like a like a total game wrecker, like an absolute disruptor. Um, they they just got they just got hammered last time out. And I'm not sure Miles Sanders could have been that much better um, given the you know the the pressure that Wentz saw and just the utter collapse of that line so i'd like to see that line get healthier along with sanders coming back i've got kind of a placeholder rank on him right now i think he's like rb 20 or 22 20. or something like that and that's going to jump a little bit uh, again assuming he gets in a full practice on friday and we feel really good about him going if that and again if that line gets healthier he'll probably be not a not a not an rb1 for me but sort of in that rb 15 ish range i have uh, him at rb20 in that rb20 range as well right now um Regarding Lane Johnson, I did look this up. According to John Clark of NBC Philly, and Clark tweeted this, Lane Johnson is expecting to play. And that's from the player. The player said he was expecting to play. Obviously, the players are always a little bit more confident about their availability than anybody else. But things at least seem to be trending in an optimistic way. So let's move on to the Atlanta Falcons at the Dallas Cowboys Let's start on the Cowboys side of things because obviously Blake Jarwin being done for the year with that non-contact injury not only 
creates a kerfuffle amongst people who are needing <laughs> to stream at the tight end position. But I think if we want to skew positively from a fantasy perspective, CeeDee Lamb now gets a raised profile, if you will. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, this one, this one's hard for me to even talk about because I, I, I feel like I feel like I've talked about Blake Jarwin on every podcast I've done for the last two months. Like he was got like the setup was there. This was going to be a good season. He was going to see a ton of targets. But yeah, you're right. There's nobody who steps in and necessarily gets his exact projected workload. Like a lot of this, like any of any of your worries about CD Lamb, who I thought really like looked really good, maybe ran one route a bit couple feet short something like that but like he was he was good um and they targeted him heavily a lot of that goes to him so uh, again there there were something like 160 vacated targets in that offense from Randall Cobb and Jason Witten alone a ton of that workload goes right to Lamb so now you can reasonably expect Gallup Lamb Cooper all to be 100 target players 100 targets plus in healthy seasons so this is a this is a big win for Lamb and Lamb can probably benefit from softer coverage you know, if yeah. if Cooper is drawing most of it and Lamb has the versatility to run in the slot and outside, though, he's likely going to be the slot receiver. But still, all three of those receivers can rotate. So I, I, I like him moving forward quite a bit. I'm a player to be excited about. Another player, a slot receiver, in fact, uh, from the Falcon side of things that I did not see popping, though there were certainly rumblings throughout the summer and in training camp was Russell Gage. I mean, all if you talked about Blake Jarwin on every podcast, I talked about Hayden Hurst on every podcast, and now yeah. it feels like Gage is eating into the volume that I had projected to go towards Hurst. Yes, it's only one game, and they did manage a similar snap count, but 12 targets and over 100 yards for Gage, just five looks for Hurst. I, I got to watch what happens here. And obviously this game figures, I mean, the over-under is set at 53. So there should be enough opportunities here to see how things are divvied out. It's almost like the reverse of the Dallas situation in Atlanta with the tight end and the slot receiver. Yeah, it's funny you bring this up. It's the first and only thing that I wrote down in my notes about this game was five targets for Hurst, 12 for Gage with a question mark next to it. Like, I get... Uh, Gage, obviously a good player and Hurst, like five targets isn't a disaster. You know, this isn't this isn't like her season starts off and he's new to the team and it's two targets and eight yards or something like that. It was, you know, it's it's five looks. That's something um, it, it's it's got to even out. Right. Like you, you're not going to you're not going to continue starting him for for much more than two or three weeks if it's four, five, six targets each week. I don't think it's going to be like that. Um, there was a lot of off-season sunshine about Hurst, a lot of really nice things said by Matt Ryan, not that he's going to say anything else, um, but it was all pretty promising in the off-season. I think still at some point that that Austin Hooper volume is, is going to come. All right, well, I hope so. <laughs> Carolina moving on at Tampa Bay. News note here, Chris Godwin in the concussion protocol. Mike Evans, however, still dealing with the hamstring injury, but, you know, was available last week, uh, according to reports, is, quote, over the hump regarding the injury. So he should be back to close, maybe, you know, 85, 90 percent on Sunday. Give me a Scotty Miller take, Andy Barron's please. <laughs> well, talk like talk about an offseason love affair between a, a a couple of players, right? Like Brady talked him up. I never saw up. that one coming. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> Brady talked him up. Uh, he was he was obviously heavily targeted in Week One, and we might have written that off to a to a Mike Evans situation. But now with uh, Godwin, a huge question mark for Week Two. Um, this like this was kind of fun. Um, like. Brady was weird, by the way, because I thought 
I thought he played a really good game, except for the game changing uh, turnovers, <laughs> right? Which is a which is a weird thing to say, but uh, like other than the disastrous plays, um, I-, I thought he showed more, like perhaps more signs of life than I would have expected um, from the oldest player to ever successfully play the position. Um, so that was all really promising. Healthy Mike Evans is really promising. Obviously, if if Godwin is even compromised in any way, Miller's going to have another day. And O.J. Howard is suddenly resurrected as a as a thing. He was very lightly drafted in Yahoo leagues and understandably so. He's been he and Logan Thomas have been like the two players that I've managed to successfully add after the Jarwin injury. So uh, I'm hoping this continues for Howard. This is this is clearly a good spot for him if uh, if Godwin can't go. Scotty Miller, by the way, available in over 70% of Yahoo leagues right now. Carolina quickly on Mad Bets. Minty asked me if I thought Christian McCaffrey would go over under one and a half touchdowns in this matchup against the Bucks. Pretty good run defense. Though let's be reminded that last week Alvin Kamara scored twice, once through the air and once on the ground. What say you? Would you go over one and a half scores for Christian McCaffrey or are we asking for too much too soon? All right. Not that I'm a not that I'm a bitter Kamara owner, but it should have been he should have had a third touchdown, too. That was that was way too close to overrule. I'm still mad about it. That cost me maybe two matchups. Anyway, that's my problem. It's not yours. Good day for Kamara, but not much on the ground. Actually, everything every good thing he did came through the air, um, really got stonewalled on the ground. Um, it's, I mean, it's Christian McCaffrey. So I don't want to, I don't want to take the under on any line involving Christian McCaffrey. I mean, obviously he's not going to average two touchdowns a week. So I get, I guess I'll just say one, I'll say one and just a ton of yards. Okay. I went over cause why not? When we move on to the next matchup, like this is not a matchup that I necessarily thought I'd have numerous poop emojis next to (laughs) the 49ers at the jets. Like what? a mess. You know, we're supposed to like our producer Brett likes us to run through these fairly quickly so that we don't bore our listeners, but I feel like there's so much to sift through with this and like for nothing, for not even like a great reason, like there's nothing awesome, but there's so many weird twists and turns to this matchup and wrinkles that need to be covered. So let's talk about San Francisco first. Okay, George Kittle has a bad knee. We're not sure of his availability or how effective, moreover, he'll be on Sunday. Also, both of the 49ers starting cornerbacks, Akella Witherspoon and Richard Sherman, are out. So you would normally think like, oh, advantage Jets? I can't even say it without (laughs) adding a question mark at that, like... I guess Brashad Perryman on paper could do something, but also Jamison Crowder and his, I don't know, 6.8 yards per reception. Um, Not last week, but he's got a hamstring issue. Yeah. Bell's now, you've got Frank Gore as the starter. Frank Gore and Kalen Balaj bringing it, like we're calling it back, running it back with Kalen Balaj, who all of a sudden... Past his physical, like I have been on some cleanses in my time and I'm not quite (laughs) sure which one he implemented to get to pass that physical. Cause let me like, I have messed with some cayenne pepper and some lemons and some maple syrup (laughs) and still you've got to be, have it, you have to have a pulse. So I don't, I don't know, have at it. Whatever, what are you thinking here, Andy? This is a disaster. There's really not much of anything I can talk up on the on the Jets side at all. Um, Crowder would have been the play, obviously, with the uh, with the injuries at corner for San Francisco. But 
Crowder didn't practice at all on Thursday. Um, I suppose if he goes and there's a miraculous turnaround on on Friday, you can feel a little bit better about him. Herndon in a pinch, um, I believe, was the second most heavily targeted jet. Um, that's about it. Herndon is the only one that I can give like a full green light sort of endorsement to. And even even Herndon is like a you just lost Blake Jarwin or, you know, some some there has to be some other uh, extenuating circumstance if you're if you're super interested in Herndon. I mean, I still believe that the Jets could could end up scoring like six points in this game. I mean, the Jets could easily get held to single digits in this thing there. I mean, that was a I mean, they played a really good defense in week one. They're, they're probably not as bad as as Buffalo made them look in week one, but they're bad. Uh, so, so there's really not a lot on the on the Jets side. I'm super interested in the one, one interesting thing I, I I think on the Niners side is that Garoppolo targeted his running backs. I, I think it was 14 of his 33 pass attempts went to running backs. Raheem Mostert all of a sudden super involved as a receiver. I think I hope that continues. Huge workload for him. That was good to see. Jarek McKinnon, like ambulatory and and good looking looking pretty frisky. Um, I liked it. And and if he settles into that sort of usage. It was sort of James Whiteish usage. That would be awesome if he's getting five carries and, and five targets a game. He's a he's a flexible player in in competitive leagues. Yeah, we'll have to see how present Tevin Coleman is because I, I am unsure as to whether or not the air quality was a mm. mitigating factor since he does have that sickle cell syndrome, yeah. um, and you know that could have been part of the reason he wasn't out there as much. But something to monitor quickly about Garoppolo because. You know, he's only $24 in DFS, and obviously if Kittle isn't at 100%, you're less inclined to feel confident about him, especially after his production. He only completed one pass uh, of six over 15 yards last week, which makes sense if he's checking down to his running backs all the time, to your point. But Josh Allen, who went ham against um, the Jets, the bulk of his production came from throws under 20 yards. So... Garoppolo isn't going to need to push the ball, do the thing he doesn't do particularly well against this defense, which means it could be for San Francisco uh, death by, well, for the Jets, I should say, via the hand of Jimmy Garoppolo, death by a thousand paper cuts here. And yeah, no, it's a it's a it's a good notion, especially when he's only twenty four dollars in the in the DFS game. If you just want to absolutely load up everywhere else, it's uh, it's probably a smart play because, as you say, Josh Allen did that without even having having a particularly good game. It wasn't necessarily like Trubisky level bad, but it was like a sneaky bad game. I mean, plenty of misfires. I think people probably saw the the viral terrible misfire to to I believe it was John Brown in the end zone that went about. 40 feet over his head from, I don't know, 10 yards away, right? It was, it was a right. layup throw that he missed by a mile. Um, so he was still doing Josh Allen things and, and nonetheless had a huge fantasy day. Denver at Pittsburgh. Cortland Sutton is back, we think, right? He should mm-hmm. be available for this game. In week one, with, in his absence, Jerry Judy drew nine targets. Noah Fant drew six. But now what, right? Like now what does the distribution of looks look like I think of the two I'm going to lean towards Fant being fine like having the least amount of change and Jerry Judy who you know had his moments and also had his rookie moments with the with a couple of drops but overall you could see the promise in his play right um and we did talk a little earlier about how Slayton really got after Steven Nelson and how he struggled so I think Cortland Sutton could have a big bounce back not even a bounce back a big debut to 2020. Yeah, no, I think that's a good call, especially with all the injuries at receiver this week. Like this is this is cra- what a terrible year to go like zero RB, right? Like AJ Brown is hurt. We mentioned Crowder, Michael Thomas, I, like Godwin. Everybody's hurt. 
with all the injuries at receiver, by the time we get to Sunday, Cortland Sutton is probably going to rank inside my inside my top 20, like sight unseen. We don't even know the, the real severity of the injury. It sounds like he he dodged a, a bullet in terms of it being like super serious. So, yeah, I think Sutton's going to be a solid play. Nine targets for Judy was really good to see. Like even even without Sutton on the field, um, his his best moment was one of the highlights of the week. So like I like I thought Judy certainly passed the eye test. Not that we not that we expected him not to. And I agree with you on Fant. I think what you saw from Fant is is what Fant can do and and the expected usage for him going forward. Also should note that AJ Bouye will be out for this one. So from the Pittsburgh side of things, I would anticipate that Deontay Johnson who you know, let's be honest, looked a little bit out of sync, a little bit out of rhythm, not quite in his flow to start the game, but did find himself moving and getting on the same page with Ben Roethlisberger as the game progressed. I think that he will pick up where he left off in the, you know, second half of Monday's game versus struggling some more, especially if Bouye is not the coverage. Yeah, no, I think that's right. He he looked great. James Washington had a moment, looked great. Claypool had a moment, looked good. Like all the supporting receivers here looked really good. That it it sounds like we're gonna get to settle this Snell Connor thing soon, right? Because Connor has been back at practice, and that is just like the burning issue with that team for fantasy purposes right now. Snell obviously had a great day in a in a cake matchup, in a in a great matchup that Connor eventually would have exploited. Snell, Snell had a really good night. So uh, will Snell eat into his like it's just this is just not a Tomlin thing to do. Tomlin like going committee is is just it's not what they do. It's not what they've done for years. It's not like Tomlin talks about this fairly frequently. He likes to have a bell cow runner. So I would be a little bit surprised if they just rotate series just because it's not it's just very not Pittsburgh to uh to to hand one series to one guy and then the next to snell or something like that so that would be that would be surprising to me um i i, th- I think that snell may have wally pipped him i'm i'm not sure we're gonna we're about to learn snell's well first of all snell looks great right like if we're talking about yeah. cleanses he definitely went on one yeah he lots of hard-boiled eggs that i i'm sure <laughs> of um <laughs> but it's his usage in the passing game that would give me pause because Connor does have more of a do-it-all skill set. That doesn't mean, of course, we've seen plenty of running backs, Josh Jacobs in week one, for example, um, grow their skill set. So we've already seen Snell look more fit and trim and have a bit of a Le'Veon Bell moment in that regard, right? Um, If we're talking about the Steelers, so maybe he can grow to the next level as well. So uh, I don't feel we cannot actually make a definitive answer because we don't know what these players availability is going to be. So I'm with you on that. Uh, Last thing we do know, Philip Lindsay is day to day. Melvin Gordon, for what it's worth, will obviously benefit in terms of volume. He's the Yahoo consensus RB 22. It's obviously a really, really tough matchup. So I'm flexing our um, I'm flexing Melvin Gordon, but I don't wouldn't feel comfortable with him as my RB two unless I have some higher ceiling receivers elsewhere. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Everybody just saw what Pittsburgh did to Saquon Barkley, who's a better player than Melvin. I mean, Melvin Gordon's a fine player, but Saquon Barkley's at a at a different level, and they totally stopped him on the ground. Jacksonville at Tennessee. Andy, we got something right in week one. <laughs> James Robinson. How's that feel? 16 carries, 62 yards, plus a catch for another 20, a catch for another 28 yards, too. This feels good, right? Like moving yeah. forward. Uh, go for it. Like what we, we talked about him last week. So, uh, you know, this was one of, I don't want to take a victory lap because I don't want to have to do unvictory laps, but this one <laughs> did feel nice. 
Yeah, no, I feel like he put that job away, which is which is the real worry, right? Like I, game flow isn't always going to go in the Jaguars favor, right? Like he's not going to outsnap Chris Thompson as, as severely as maybe he did in, in week one. Like that's not always going to happen, obviously. But I, I think he I think he put the job on lockdown, right? Like nobody nobody's taken that from him. Like Zigbo can come back and not take it. Armstead can come back and he's not going to get it. Like he was good. He like I don't have anything bad to say about him. Like everything looked really good. He's not he may not be the flashiest back, but um, he's going to be clearly in line for 15 to 20 touches each week. More than that, if they ever get into other situations in which they actually have a lead to, to take care of. Minshew was was weirdly incredible right 19 for 20 19 for 20 but just also that... conservative right like yeah yeah played to the numbers like didn't try to get crazy yeah i think it was one of the you know so many people were picking up indianapolis's defense to to stream against Minshew, and Minshew didn't give the ball away last year like that's not like i feel like it's a it's a case where like he looks like a gunslinger so yeah, everybody yeah. everybody figures he's got a little Brett Favre in him or whatever, but he only threw six interceptions last year. Like he's not he's not there to give you the football. Um, so they were a bad play. Like I'm I'm not that into the idea of streaming defenses against the against the Jaguars. Um, he also like those 19 completions were to 10 different receivers, which we don't which is a little bit of a little bit of troubling news if you've got DJ Chark. But it was it was impressive. Nonetheless, 20 pass attempts and you connect with 10 different guys. Well, this is not a week to stream Tennessee's defense because they'll be without a Dory Jackson again. And that does mean that DJ Chark, I think, will have a better shot. I mean, he scored last week, so great. But I think yeah. that he might get fed a little bit more. He, he, we might see his volume go up. If we're going to talk about Tennessee, though, we can't not talk about Corey Davis, who entered week one with this hamstring issue. And everybody was like, oh, well, that's something new. That's whatever. But A.J. Brown now did not practice on Thursday with a knee issue. So you have to assume that if Brown does not play in this game, then Corey Davis, assuming he doesn't tweak something before the game, which is totally possible, please drink your Gatorade and hydrate. hydrate. <laughs> um, you know, he they both logged 81% of the snaps. Davis, saw se- uh, Davis managed 7 of 8 for 101 and Brown 5 of 8 for 39. I don't know if there's enough passing in this offense to support more than one receiver, but if the other one is out, then... Davis is the play. Yeah, I, I think you're I think you're exactly right on that. There's there's not like this is not an offense that's going to support three pass catchers that we're regularly starting in fantasy. But for this week with a you know, the thing about the thing about Brown's injury is even if he guts it out and plays, we we know that he's going to be compromised. Right. So I think I would stay away from him. Nonetheless, he's going to be I mean, even if he plays, he's going to be outside my top 30 receivers. It's possible that he could give you one huge play that makes his week, but um, I'm not going to bank on it from a player who's clearly hobbled right now. So Davis is the play and Johnny Smith can make a little bit of noise at tight end. And that's about it. The Lions are traveling to Green Bay. For another division rival game. Um, the good news for the Lions, they could use some, is that Kenny. Oh, it's actually not good news. <laughs> the, the bad news. <laughs> well, that's the most the Lions bad. thing of all time. You think a thing is going well, and then, yeah. It's not actually. Uh, Kenny <laughs> Galladay did, in fact, not practice on Thursday. If he sits, that means that Marvin Jones will be the team's presumed wide receiver one. He's likely to draw Jair Alexander, which you would think last year, like, oh, that might be tough. But then Adam Thielen went out there and smoked Alexander for like 110 and two. So I just would, 
I, I do have some feels about Adrian Peterson, and and that's not one thing. But I, you know, you mentioned how Adrian Peterson was finding holes against the Bears on the ground, and I feel like Peterson is a sneaky play again, even though the Packers have a pretty decent defense. Um, I, I just think that you might see some Matri- Patricia putting Swift in the doghouse, and he clearly don't like carry on Johnson anymore. Yeah. So I think I think Peterson might carry the pencil one more week. Um, but otherwise, I just I would prefer not to touch the lines if I don't have to. Yeah. Hawkinson made a play like Hawkinson had a had a touchdown in the in the opener looked really good. Obviously, Hawkinson when healthy was which was only for like five, 10 minutes last year. But it, they were a really good five or 10 minutes. Right. Um, he, he was good early in the season. So he's he's a plausible start here. Again, people are dealing with injuries at, uh, at receiver and tight end. But it's a good point. Yeah. It's uh, carry like this is you can cut carry on. I I feel like I I know that he had his own truthers, right? There were people who were dedicated uh, to carry on from what he did a couple of seasons ago. Like you got to cut him loose now because Adrian Peterson just showed up and <laughs> they were like, here, you're you're the, you're our lead back now. It's it's really good to meet you. You're our lead running back. Like that's what happened. Less with than Adrian a week Peterson. in, right? Less than a week on the team. And he's like, OK. Yeah. Yeah. And he, I listen, he, he did have some wide rushing lanes against the bears. He hit him and he, and he had a bunch of big gains off of him. And he's, he still looks like, you know, you can tell that he's the guy who used to be 2009, Adrian Peterson, you know, like you mm-hmm. can still see flashes of it, man, that, that swift drop was so brutal. And I, I was so conflicted because I, I have a lot of exposure to swift and fantasy, a, a walk-in touchdown there sure would have been nice. Obviously, I'm a Bears fan. It was so it was a weird moment for me. Um, I can't believe he dropped that ball because he's actually like that's part of his game. Like he's a he's a good receiver. He made like so much of his collegiate tape. So many of the fun moments were actually in the a, as a receiver. I, I, right. I can't believe it happened. It was it, like it was a gimme too. It was an absolute layup. Well, he got out of his system. And how many times do you think Aaron Rodgers had said, "I can't believe he dropped that ball." Um, even in week one, that's something that Aaron Rodgers says a lot. I just wanted to, because we are still trying to figure out who the number two, if it's not Aaron Jones, like the number two receiver in the Packers, uh, offense can be. And I just wanted to, once the snap counts came out, I took a look. So Adam at 90%, Lazard at 87%, MBS at 54%. But of course, Lazard only drew four targets and MBS drew seven. So, I don't know. We will see. They both had their mistakes. We'll see who Aaron Rodgers feels like penalizing. The Detroit Lions certainly have an opportunity. I mean, this is an exploitable matchup, and Rodgers should... If Mitch Trubisky scored three touchdowns against the Lions, then Aaron Rodgers is going to have himself a career day. Right. I, he's actually an interesting conversation. I'll take the L on him at, at least for a week. You know, I was I was really low on Aaron Rodgers ranks-wise coming into the season because... Man, that that guy averaged like over the past three seasons, he's averaged like 260 passing yards per week. That's it. That's it. Like that's nothing. He's averaged <laughs> 1.7 touchdowns per game. So that's what he's been over the over the last three years. And then he just absolutely blows up with almost no name receivers. Um, yeah. So I will take the L there. But Aaron Rodgers has another matchup to exploit here. So he's going to be a QB one again. Keep doing it. Uh, Buffalo at Miami, John Brown had a foot issue, didn't practice on Wednesday, but was back to practice on Thursday. So, all right. And obviously the Miami secondary has changed things around, adding Byron Jones, and then they still have Xavier Howard. So that's interesting. I don't know. I think that I'm prioritizing Stefan Diggs because of health and ability over, uh, John Brown from here on out. 
do you have any notes from the Buffalo side of things? Did anything really change for you? Or, you know, I think we know who the goal line back is and we know who, yeah. the, who the quarterback is. I, th- I think if you're a I think if you're a Zach Moss investor, even though he wasn't particularly efficient in the opener, you feel pretty good about when he was on the field and when they got yeah. near the goal line like he was out there. I think there are things you can feel really good about if you're a Singletary investor, too, because he like there was a receiving workload for him, which has to be there. He has to either be active at the goal line or he has to be active as a receiver or like you just can't you're just not much of a fantasy factor if you're only a an early down guy between the 20s. That's not particularly helpful to us. So I I think you can feel okay about that. And it is an absolute matchup to exploit against Miami for the running backs. So I I feel really good about both players. I've actually got them both ranked as RB2s right now, which feels weird. But I do I like I think they can both have big weeks here I think Allen I I think is my QB three like he can have a big week again without even necessarily looking good he can have a big week because he's Mm. one of the primary goal line rushers too I've got Diggs a little bit ahead of Brown right now but it's only a little bit ahead and I'm probably going to bump up Brown a little bit more now that it seems like he's going to be at full strength or close to it um, by game time which is which is good to see that's it oh it's just the foot though I mean the foot with Brown especially gives me pause but we're a different like an AC joint I'd be less concerned yeah no it's fair it's fair he, he saw a ton of targets they have continuity obviously like the one thing that has worked with josh allen as a passer has been stuff to to john brown so uh i, I do have a little bit of confidence that he's going to see you know seven to ten targets uh, Devonte parker for the miami side of things is dealing with a hammy we don't know if he's going to play if he doesn't you would imagine that preston williams would have an opportunity except he's going to have tredavious white and his major uh, yeah. as his uh major defender so it doesn't make much sense. I will say I'm keeping an eye on Miles Gaskin. I don't want to roll him out. I don't even have him rostered, but I want to see what his usage is in this week because it, well, the matchup is obviously tough, but um, he was used much more and deployed much more in week one that I was anticipating. Uh, so I do want to see what he does in terms of snap count and touches just to monitor. Yeah, I agree with that. He turned he turned Matt Breida into a drop. Like Matt Breida's, you got to drop him. Like I felt I felt pretty good about him coming into the season. Um, had him in a bunch of places. Had him, you know, I was only ranking two Miami backs, and they were Howard and Breida, and I had Breida yep. a little bit ahead. I'd be like, who's going to waste Matt Breida? Well, Miami's going to waste Matt, Matt Breida apparently. Um, like he he barely played, and Gaskin played thirty nine snaps. Like he's running well ahead of them. Like if you if you're in some sort of bizarre league where you're forced to roster a dolphin, um, like Gaskin. <laughs> would be the one running back to to deploy and breed as a drop. Yeah. And just in case some of our listeners aren't familiar with Miles Gaskin, I mean, I wasn't necessarily other than the fact that I knew he had been very, very productive at Washington. He can catch like that's That's yeah. his thing is he can catch out of the backfield. It's, so that's why Andy is comping him to Burita. The knock against him was that he was undersized. He's 5'9 and 205. So we know the role that he could fill. Let's move on to Minnesota at Indianapolis. Adam Thielen forever. <laughs> That's the first thing I want to say about this matchup for them. I mean, what do you have anything from the Minnesota side of things other than to say hooray for for Adam Thielen? Yeah, how how about it? Um, the the only concern with him coming into the season, I'm mean, like, he's obviously a candidate for like 180 to 200 targets yeah. this year, right? Like, clearly, it's a, no surprise at all if he leads the NFL in targets. He's in he's in exactly that situation. He just needs to stay healthy. He was banged up last year. He's 30, uh, a little bit of a concern, but he, he's going to get 10 targets a week. No, no doubt about it. He's really good. Um, yeah. Other than that, we, I, I feel like we know Minnesota. Um, Dalvin 
salvaged a good game out of a out of a horrible loss for that team. Um, Justin Jefferson played a lot, didn't see a lot of action. I don't even know if it'll matter who the number two receiver for the Vikings is because it's going to be 10 to 15 targets for Thielen each week. But Jefferson at least played a bunch of snaps. Good point. Um, I owe you an apology. And the apology comes in the form of Paris Campbell. Hi. It's not how I wanted it to go, Andy. This is not, I did not imagine starting my week two deep sleepers column with Paris Campbell. I almost said Paris Hilton. That's how, <laughs> how much I'm resisting this one. But you can't deny the numbers. And I will say that Andy, every time I went to I went to rank Michael Pittman higher, I would like just look at Andy's ranks and be like, I just can't do it because what if, what if Paris Campbell? Like, I don't really believe in Paris Campbell, but he is, there's a point to be made here. Let's just wait and see. And my goodness, he led the Colts receivers in snap, led the Colts receivers in snaps with 83.8. That's more than T.Y. Hilton. And in fact, tied T.Y. Hilton in looks with um, nine targets. My gosh, like this was great. The timing that Rivers and he showed on like downfield strikes. He managed another 18 yards after the catch, which makes sense given his 4-3 speed, like all of this makes sense now. I didn't anticipate it, <laughs> and I will own that. And when you look at, like, the trio of cornerbacks in Minnesota that are all still learning each other's names, yeah. my God, Paris Campbell should cook this week. Yeah, this is, if not a blow-up week for Paris Campbell, it's going to be a week that looks just like last week. I mean, he's going to see a ton of targets this year. He's a he's an explosive player who gets targeted usually uh, near the line of scrimmage and and does a lot of work after the catch. And again, for like four three speed, he's just got to stay healthy after having I don't even know how many injuries he had last year. He had like seven or eight injuries last year. It was a whole medley of things. It was every possible piece of connective tissue got hurt last year. He he was concussed in the off season. Like he's. He's got to stay healthy, which is no apparently no simple thing for him. But what what an explosive player at Ohio State. Maybe maybe I just overrate Big Ten guys, but I really liked him coming into the year and, and he definitely showed up. Well, kudos to you because this was one you definitely get to take the W on. Just wanted to take a quick second to say thank you again to our sponsor for this episode. That's Planters. When you want to satisfy a salty craving, Planters has you covered. Their deluxe mixed nuts are roasted to perfection and seasoned with sea salt, giving you the crunchy texture and enhanced flavor you crave. Stay satisfied with Planters Deluxe Mixed Nuts. Andy, there is someone very satisfied in my house, and it is my long-suffering husband. Well, he's not (laughs) long-suffering because he's my husband. (laughs) He's a Washington football team fan. And he, he is, gosh, I've just stepped in all of it. Anyway, he has reminded me every single day since Sunday that the Washington football team is a top and alone at the top of the NFC East. They are taking yeah. on the Arizona Cardinals this Sunday. Hail to the football team. Yeah, um, super <laughs> impressive. And it was really like, I, I mean, I, I knew Chase Young was good, but but Wow. Um, wow. It like, I, I think he had one and a half sacks in, uh, in his debut, but he disrupted so many things. Um, that guy's really good. Um, that's a, that's a defensive front that we're going to, I mean, and again, Philadelphia's offensive line was banged up. Maybe that was a big part of it, but, uh, there's a chance that Washington is going to evolve into a defense that we're maybe staying away from. Like, I'm a little bit nervous about, a lot of my Arizona skill players based on what I just saw from Washington's defense. That was, that was phenomenal. Like you're, I, I mean, 
there's a lot of reasons that your husband has to to feel uh, pretty good about the direction of that franchise. There are plenty of reasons not to feel great <laughs> about the direction of that franchise, but Chase Young is a is a big reason for hope. He is a, a, a spot of optimism for sure. Um, <laughs> you've got Terry McLaurin also, and I just want to take your temperature and see if Antonio Gibson has warmed the cockles of your cold heart yet, <laughs> even a little bit. Um, yeah, actually led that to, despite all of the carries that they gave to Peyton Barber, which is, a, you know, what are we doing? Like we cut loose Adrian Peterson and we're giving whatever it was, 17, 18 carries to Peyton Barber with which he could not even reach 30 yards. Philadelphia challenging matchup in the run game, but still he did stumble into the end zone a couple times. That was cool. He got at him somewhere, I guess. But Gibson ended up leading that team in rushing even though Peyton Barber had a million carries. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah uh, Gibson certainly passes the eye test. And there's still, despite how, how good Logan Thomas was and how heavily targeted he was, there's still a there's still an opportunity for Gibson to see something like six targets a game. From the Arizona side of things, obviously it's going to be interesting to see if Kyler Murray's elusiveness is enough to eschew Chase. Um, but I'm interested in this backfield. You know, you've got the like, we all know that DeAndre Hopkins can drag every single uh, quarterback, not that Kyler Murray is by any means in the same, you know, universe as Brock Osweiler or something like that. But he picked up where he le- left off. The rapport was not an issue. Kirk and Fitzgerald, I don't think are going to get enough uh, to be fantasy relevant. But I, I will say, can this backfield, though, is there enough here to support both of these backs? Can both Kenyon Drake and Chase Edmonds eat here? Yeah, Drake saw plenty of work. I, I mean, I feel good about uh, Drake. I, I feel like Chase Edmonds is going to be one of those guys that you don't usually start unless until the buys hit. Like the buys will hit, you're going to need a mm. flex and you're going to roll out Chase Edmonds. I'm I, I'm not sure the volume is going to be there at a level that um, is going to make him an actual starting fantasy play like routinely in a non-buy week. Found the end zone like it was promising, like it's a it's a fun offense, but the it feels like the safe ways to invest in this offense are, are still going to be Kyler, DeAndre, and and Drake. And then I do think it's a nice note, though, to keep an eye on Edmonds' usage and as we approach the buys, which are not happening yet. Let's talk about Baltimore at Houston. I, I just when I'm when I looked at this game, I was like, I don't know, can the how can anyone beat the Ravens? Like, let's just give up <laughs> and give. I, I I don't know how it's possible. The only fantasy uh, piece of fantasy question I have is the backfield in. Baltimore. Uh, Dobbins had 39% of the snaps. Ingram had 36% of the uh, snaps. And there were seven carries for Dobbins, two red zone, 10 for Ingram, two red zone, zero targets for either of them. The rookie got the touchdowns. I, I don't know, you and I, I didn't see this coming. I mean, I think you, in fact, said brilliantly on our cram session, like, why would the Ravens move away from Mark Ingram when he was so perfectly productive and it worked so well last year? Well, there seems to be a rotation. Yeah, this is one where I'm not fully ready to take the loss. I'll probably end up taking the loss because obviously Dobbins, you know, on the on the most imp- important carries um, he produced. He wasn't super efficient, but he produced on the most important carries. Um, it was also a, not at all a competitive game. So and the Ravens play a lot of those, right? They played played like six or eight of them last year. I mean, it's that's that's not unusual really for the Ravens. That's a really good point, though, Andy. Like getting so, the rookie some reps now, while you know you have an opportunity to, and knowing that he was capable enough via what he showed in in training camp to handle yeah. it, not you know lose the game for you. 
So we will so we will learn some more in what should be a more competitive game or competitive for longer. I still don't like there's not much that I like about Houston's defense. And they the other thing is that this actually this game, the Houston game was one of the non-competitive games that Baltimore played last year. They absolutely destroyed Houston, um, destroyed them. I think it was 41 to seven. I want to say Deshaun Watson didn't do a thing. Um, 160 some passing yards in that one. No touchdowns, couple of turnovers like there. There, there's an argument here to sit Deshaun Watson, which you wouldn't normally do. And obviously, if you drafted him, you probably didn't draft another quarterback. But I'd be looking around at the wire a little bit because I, I don't I don't think it's a layup. But Deshaun Watson is a top 10 quarterback this week. I would argue that when you look at the strengths of the Ravens defense, you look at their secondary and you're like, OK, well, that's stacked. And then you look at how they plugged in Calais Campbell and Derek Wolf. We've talked a lot yeah. about that in terms of, you know, their run defense. But what's the area of the field that maybe you could beat them against? I think it might be the middle. And that is why y'all have to tune in to FFL, because I think that Jordan Aikens has a chance to do some fantasy damage. That's my deep sleeper. And I'm not I'm not afraid of it. Like this is a receiving tight end. The knock against him coming out of college. By the way, I love his origin story. And I know we're going long and I don't care because I think it's an interesting note. <laughs> but he caught Bill O'Brien's eye during the senior bowl when O'Brien was the coach. And then he ended up, I mean, he's projected to be drafted as in like the sixth round. And O'Brien, shocker, reached for him in like the third. He got a lot of good pub over the offseason. The knock against him was that he couldn't block. Well, now he's entering his third year. And guess what? He doesn't need to. The only score that Baltimore gave up in week one was Tinjoku, who's a tight end. Yeah. I think that this might be, if you if you had Blake Jarwin or you didn't pick up Logan Thomas, who we'll talk about a little bit later, you lost out on him like I did to you in plenty of leagues, then maybe Jordan Akins is your guy this week, just to stream. No, I like it. It's a re- it's a really good call. Always passes the eye test. And that was the point I was going to make that uh, the only the only good thing that Cleveland did um, went to a tight end. There you go. All right. Uh, quickly, last game for the. Sunday day slate, Kansas City Chiefs at the Chargers. All I have written really is uh, CEH forever and don't even with Sammy Watkins <laughs> in parentheses, Casey Hayward. <laughs> yeah, um, th- those are fair points. I-, I feel like the I feel like the big fantasy story here. It's not going to be the big real life story at all. But Tyrod Taylor um, threw one pass to a running back on, <laughs> on and, Sunday, right? right? Like It wasn't like, Austin Eckler. <laughs> And, and that like that's bad. And Eckler obviously dominated, uh, dominated the workload, but um, didn't get didn't get anything as a receiver, basically, and um, didn't get the the goal line work. So those are, those are two pretty big deals for a running back that you draft in the first or second round. Right. Obviously, Philip, like this was a talking point when when discussing Eckler preseason, um, Philip Rivers targets the heck out of his running backs. Um, you look at what Eckler did against Kansas City last year. He had 17 receptions against this team in two games. He had over 20 targets in two games. I'm I'm not confident. Like, I'm not confident. Um, Tyrod didn't look to his running backs at all. Tyrod's history has basically been instead of taking some of those check downs, some of that that easy money, he'll run it. Um, and, and I worry that that's what we're going to continue to see. And that maybe the idea of Austin Eckler as an 80 catch receiver was a, was an overreach. I hope not, <laughs> but we'll <laughs> see. Uh, Sunday night, we've got the new England Patriots, the new look, new England Patriots at the kind of new look Seattle Seahawks, because Russell Wilson threw the ball 35 times in week one, which is not something we're used to seeing. So my question to you, Andy is this is a trope, but what, what is Bill Belichick going to take away if Russell Wilson is allowed <laughs> to sling it? 
and we know he can run. And sure, DK Metcalf might be compromised by Stephon Gilmore. Like, you know, it, is it Tyler Lockett? Because that's the security blanket. Is it the running game? Because traditionally that's what Seattle has done. Like, I don't know. I think this will be an interesting this will be an interesting battle between two rushing quarterbacks here. Yeah, I like I think Russell Wilson might be good enough that you can't just you can't just take away what he wants to One do, thing. right? Yep. Um I I think that is I think that is probably the case here. Um I, obviously the New England secondary very good. That it is uh you know, if you if you have Chris Carson, you're feeling good about the two touchdowns in week 1. He played 28 snaps and Carlos Hyde played 21 and the carries were even between them. So like there might be a, a rushing rotation there that we really need to worry about. And Carson, like Carson, Carson looks great right now because he has a couple of touchdowns on the resume. They were throwing the ball to him. Um, that's a guy I wouldn't mind shopping if uh, if I'd spent a, a really? second or you third don't round think pick he was on him. maybe eased in because he was coming off the injury and he missed like nine out of 11 practices because he had funerals to go to at home. <laughs> like maybe he's being eased in. Maybe, maybe they maybe they like like they've turned some undrafted guys. They've turned guys we've never heard of into fantasy commodities. Right. Like it's not going to shock me if Carlos Hyde is an ongoing annoyance. Oh, gosh. I forget if it was you or Matt Harmon that said that he's like the he's Frank Gore 2.0. He's like, oh, it was, it was Harmon. That was so good. Yeah. Um, so accurate. Monday night, we've got the Saints at the Raiders. Michael Thomas is out. He's going to miss a couple of weeks. I, I'm i going to say it, and I'm not going to say it with jubilation or joy, but Traquan Smith has a great opportunity here. Yeah. <laughs> he can pull it off. Yeah, the thing with Michael Thomas is um, he, he doesn't, like, he's a transcendent player. That's not, like, a role, you know? I was talking about this with uh, with Chris Harris on the, on the Harris Football Podcast a couple days ago, like, that's not a job. Like guy who catches 140 passes is not a job. There's, there's nobody who steps in and does Michael Thomas things. Um, it it does mean presumably a bunch more work for Jared Cook, um, for Traquan Smith, neither of whom stylistically anything. Emmanuel Sanders, not anything like Michael Thomas. Like mm-hmm. without Michael Thomas, there's not a guy who commands double teams, has a guy draped on him. And Drew Brees still throws a dart that he manages to catch like they just they're just without that that that's gone. It's gone from the Saints passing attack. And that's bad. It's bad for Drew Brees. Like I talked about Deshaun Watson as a guy that you would think about benching. I would I would certainly think hard about benching Drew Brees um, in this one as well. There's like in the Michael Thomas era, I think he's missed one game and Brees was terrible. It was a low yardage total. It was no touchdowns. It was three interceptions. Um, That's obviously a sample that is so small. You don't need to care about it, but it was really bad. I'm also, when I look at the defense, though, and I look at the juiciness of the matchup, that's where I'm conflicted because, I, I mean, we're going to talk about him on FFL, and I imagine that the Saints are going to lean on the run game and do a lot of, frankly, what Bill Belichick has been doing with Tom Brady over the past few years in New England. Like, I, I think you can see shades of that offense being utilized or that scheme being utilized, but I also think that Drew Brees has a bit of an ego to him. And when he sees the untested, relatively untested corners in Vegas, and he sees the opportunity to show out. I mean, we see Philip Rivers do it on the regular, right? Philip Rivers doesn't have a Michael Thomas. I just, this is a gettable matchup and Drew Brees knows that. And I, it is hard for me to divorce myself from him wanting to feel some of that glory, especially after yes, a win last week, but a ho hum outing that was overhyped as we headed into it 
Yeah, no, that's fair. It's a it's an island game, primetime game. You're right. Like yeah. we would ex- we would expect Drew Brees to show up in this one. He's just he's without such an incomparable weapon. And they I mean, they may find a way like he I can imagine a game where Drew Brees gives us like 175 passing yards, but three touchdowns like that's certainly in play against a super sure. friendly defense. Yeah, that that is probably right around where I would put the ceiling, like 203 touchdowns instead of the massive, you know, 440 yard game that we might expect from a fully operational Saints offense. That's a perfect way to state it. Looking ahead to Sunday, we want to make a couple of nutty predictions since that one was very cogent. Thank you to Planters <laughs> for giving us this opportunity, by the way. Andy, what is your nuttiest prediction for Sunday's game? I have been too much of a coward so far to rank Ronald Jones the way that I really feel about him this week, but he, um, like, Leonard Fournette was barely a rumor last week, right? Barely a rumor. Ronald Jones had that job and did fine. Um, it wasn't like a, a super showy game for him. And the stats weren't, you know, they don't jump off the page or anything. But it was a he, he dominated the workload. He had over 80 yards. He was fine. This week's matchup is is Carolina. And it's a gift. <laughs> it's an absolute gift. Like, we all knew that Josh Jacobs was going to crush last week. And he certainly did. Three touchdowns. Monster week. Um Ronald Jones can give you 100 plus yards and a touchdown or two here. I, I think he can finish as a top five running back. I don't have, I don't, I don't have the guts to rank him there because he's still Ronald Jones and he could drop two passes and get pulled. Um, but I think he can also finish as a top five back. No guts, but lots of nuts. That's Andy <laughs> Barron. <laughs> My nutty prediction is that Logan Thomas scores another touchdown in back-to-back weeks. Listen, in the season opener, he led the Washington pass catchers with eight looks. He was third in snaps with a share of 70% behind Terry McLaurin and Steven Sims. He's a converted quarterback. He was Dwayne Haskins' only score. He takes on the Cardinals this week. They've traditionally and historically struggled against the tight end position. So again, if you you know, had Blake Jarwin and you don't feel confident in Jordan Aikens, then go ahead and give yourself Logan Thomas, who, by the way, is rostered in 18% of Yahoo Leagues and is only $13 in our daily game. All right, Andy, do you have anything else coming up? Anything written or are we just looking ahead to FFL on Sunday? We're looking ahead to FFL, which was just a minor production miracle last Sunday. And I can't wait for it again. That was a lot of fun. Indeed. uh, Check that out. We go live 90 minutes before kickoff. It is a fun show. We answer questions. We have segments. You're definitely going to want to tune in. So if you haven't already, be sure to download the Yahoo Fantasy app on your phone so you can watch that. We also have lots of podcasts here at Yahoo Sports. You can check out the Yahoo Sports NFL podcast with Charles Robinson and Therese Paler and the Yahoo Sports College podcast with Dan Wetzel, Pete Thamel, and Pat Forty. You can follow us on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. I'm at Liz Loza underscore FF. That's at Andy Barons. One more thanks to Planters. Week two is happening, folks. <laughs> Matt and I will recap it all for you first thing on Monday morning. But for right now, we're out. Set your lineup. I'm Mike Lizikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. We're the hosts of Skullduggery, a podcast that not only breaks down the news, but also breaks news. We deliver authoritative analysis while drawing intriguing historical parallels from our decades of covering D.C. scandals. With our current focus on the president and his administration's handling of the coronavirus, to the 2020 elections, we interview those helping to shape the stories. So subscribe to and download Skullduggery 
Skullduggery wherever you listen to your podcasts. And be sure to follow us on social media at Skullduggery Pod. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.